everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. We're here with our second advisory board virtual panel, where we brought together our board members in healthcare, marketing, and cybersecurity. We'll hear from these experts on digital transformation and how to truly connect with customers during the course of this pandemic. Our board will cover what today's leaders can do to digitally transform their companies in the years that follow. Is this the new normal or the next normal? Okay, great. Uh, again, thanks to the uh, Millennium Alliance for having us. And <clears throat> again, you know, it would have been nice if we could have all done this in person. Um, I think all of us just sort of recently met virtually. And I guess that's the new norm, right? We're all going to be meeting virtually. So. Um, so to kick things off, what I wanted to do is just sort of have everyone you know, quickly introduce yourself, uh, where you're dialing in from today, or where you're zooming in from, and um, also talk a little bit about these and, and you know industries that you sort of uh, are focused in. So uh, why don't we start with Connie uh, first? Well, thank you. And we're dialing in from all across the country. I have to say, I'm dialing in from the uh, the west coast of Florida, down in the Naples area. And uh, if I walk about 10 feet away, I can look at the beach. So it gives me peace and calm in this time where we're spending so much time indoors and on Zoom, et cetera. But uh, I come from a, uh, an eclectic career, to say the best. I spent a good part of my career in marketing before pivoting and running investor relations for MCI, Microsoft, and AT&T, and then becoming AT&T's CMO and pivoting back to marketing and doing that for Bearing Point in a very um, broad global capacity. And now for the last about mm, 12 years, I've been in the financial services and insurance sector between Hartford, TIA, and now working with a number of companies, including um, Equitable. So it's been a very interesting journey, interesting time, but I'm back focusing on marketing and focused on the customer and um, lots to talk about today. Okay, great. Thank you, Connie. Uh, Vince, why don't we have you go next? Sure, uh, Vince Campitelli. Currently, uh, I am working as a consultant to the office of the CEO of the Cloud Security Alliance which uh, you may or may not be familiar with, but uh, we're a worldwide non-for-profit organization uh, committed to developing guidance and support for organizations who were migrating to uh, cloud technology platforms. Uh, previous to this uh, relationship with CSA, uh, I've varied experience primarily focusing in the three areas of uh, information technology risk management and auditing and have spent time uh, both as a partner with a major cpa firm a number of short sprints with some organizations on wall street and then primarily in banking and in healthcare okay great and vince where are you uh where are you zooming in from? i'm dialing in from uh, charlotte north carolina okay Great. Which, unfortunately, when I moved here, uh, Connie, I thought it was close to the ocean since it's done. 
the Atlantic Ocean, but it's about three and a half hours away, so uh, I can't jump out into the uh, breakers. Right, exactly. And then, uh, Cynthia, why don't we have you go next? Great. Uh, Cynthia Johnson. I'm actually uh, coming to you from Los Angeles, California, also a couple blocks away from the beach. Uh, but our beaches are closed, so I, I don't get to enjoy it as much as, as Connie. Uh, similar to Connie, I've had a, a pretty eclectic career so far. I actually started in the platform side of social media websites, live streaming primarily. Uh, from there, I pivoted into uh, search and social campaigns uh, and then full-scale full digital campaigns, primarily in healthcare, insurance, wealth management, all of the sexy, uh, fun <laughs> industries to be involved in. Um, I was partnered in an agency that was acquired by a healthcare company. I ran brand development for, uh, and did a bit of investor relations actually for a large uh, behavioral healthcare team. And uh, during that time sort of saw a, an opportunity in, and a trend in digital marketing. And so my co-founder and I left this uh, healthcare company and founded Bell and & Ivy. And so we do integrated marketing campaigns uh, primarily focused on digital transformation um, and figuring out how to create digital experiences for uh, companies and their teams um, while utilizing their internal teams and employees at the same time. So uh, this is definitely an interesting uh, time for us uh, and, our, and our clients. Great. No, thank you for that. Um, and quick background on me. Um, I'm, uh, I've been in healthcare for about 20 years, um, first six years as a consultant. 12 years as an entrepreneur and now uh, run a venture and advisory firm. So working a lot more in the investor space um, where we're sort of co-investing, leading investments, advising companies, growing companies, doing an M&A and all sorts of uh, fun things like that. Uh, I'm based in Silicon Valley. And so I am about 40 minutes from the beach in the ocean. I have to go over a mountain <laughs> and I also cannot swim in it because a, it's too cold, and B, it's closed. So, <laughs> so, um, so that's me. But thank you again for for all of you. Um, you know, and again, what an important topic. And I think what I wanted to do was sort of start off with what uh, Connie and Cynthia just talked about. And and I wanted to sort of throw this out. And obviously, Vince and I will sort of jump into this topic as well. Digital transformation, right? So digital messaging, digital marketing, how to communicate with your customers internally externally you know obviously you all have both of you have been in this space and you guys are experts in this space what's been sort of the experience throughout this journey currently we're in and how do you see this really transforming or changing um you know as we sort of you know start exiting this pandemic whenever it may be yeah i, I can jump in so sure. uh from our experience and um, there was initially this uh, sense of, you know, well, what about when everything goes back to normal? Uh, and that, you know, those were hard, difficult conversations to have because, uh, you know, we're not hired to tell people what they want to hear, we're hired to tell them what they need to hear. And so uh, figuring out, you know, the, the, I guess, pathway into, you know, preparing the client and, the, and their teams for change uh, and, and, you know, people tend to want to jump into that customer facing conversation, but you actually need to start with your internal teams and your own culture first, because they're the front lines for your business and they're the ones that have to take, carry that message. And so 
uh, I, I would say that the biggest or the most interesting uh, piece around communication that we saw was sort of changing the thought process on who was priority to or, uh, hearing the message to how that was delivered because now everyone's remote. So um, they're all virtual messages. <laughs> and, and then three is like, what were the expectations and, and uh, framework or guidance that you're giving your teams uh, in communicating that back to your consumers and your customers? Yeah. Great. Well, let me jump in on that. And I totally agree. Lots of people talk about the new normal. I just think of it as the next normal and the next normal yeah. and the next normal because it just changes and it will probably continue to change for a very, very long time, which creates an amazing amount of angst for customers. And it's fundamentally changed the way we live, the way we work, the way we educate our kids, but most importantly, the way we think and the way we feel. And you know, having to adapt to that is, is fundamental to being able to reach out and understand how to engage with someone at a critical time. In this point in time, an area where a, a period where many of the face-to-face -face methods we used to use to market, to sell, to communicate, whether it's in a meeting or or even even with digital has changed. And as a matter of fact, I would argue that we're in a period where a lot of people, many people are getting over digital because they got so much stuff coming at them. It's I think that having a platform, but most importantly, understanding the customer, the individual, whatever the state is that you're communicating with. And this stand, this is relevant for an employee around keeping employees motivated and engaged, new ways of working, um, the customers that you're trying to both embrace and reassure and also retain. And being in the financial services industry, it's an interesting place because we went from incredible fear where you wanted to wrap and meet your clients, wrap your arms around them and reassure them and frankly not get them to do something that they would regret later to a period now where we're trying to think about the fact that while COVID has disrupted what you might've thought as your financial plan, what you might've thought as your retirement plan, no, it really hasn't, but it has given us pause to think about different ways to have communications, to stress test it, to really be, to really be very different. And that's all being done digitally. And when we talk about digital, let's face it, digital is everything these days. But I think the combination of using face-to-face -face digital with other forms of communication and ensuring that the message is resonating and landing on the individual the right way becomes the whole core. Having the capabilities to do that, and in many cases, people were ready for that, but a lot of people weren't, and they've had to adapt. And what I'm impressed with is the companies I'm working with, watching them adapt, watching them think of new ways of working, new ways of communicating, leveraging digital that bring these fundamental tenets together. So they're not just bombarding, they're not just doing because they think they should, they're doing it to truly engage. That's an impressive outcome, and that's what I'm observing um, where I'm working now. Yeah, no, it's a really important um, important point. And Vince, maybe you can add to this before I'll sort of jump in with a healthcare angle. Well, I was just going to add to what Connie had mentioned because what was going through my mind was, 
you know, the whole purpose of uh, business transformation, i.e. going digital, was essentially to prepare companies to deal with some of the chaos that's been produced by the, uh, the virus. And, and so to me, it's a real litmus test. And I think Connie, you know, my, in my, in positively uh, was inclined to support this thesis, and that is they should be better prepared to adapt and adopt and be agile and use that to their benefit in making it through this coronavirus episode that we're going through. So theoretically, if that was the right movement, you know, to transform your business and go digital, I would think with, with the benefit of hindsight two or three years from now, we can look backwards and ask that question of whether those businesses that we're going through or have already transformed, were they more successful in dealing with, you know, having positive outcomes and being able to get to the new normal more efficiently and effectively than those legacy types of organizations who were steadfast or who hadn't thought about transforming yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, every, I mean, I'm sure this is true across industries, every business or industry was on, you know, has been on some digital transformation journey, right? Let's just say. But then this sort of highlights the fact that like, okay, it's almost like you're looking at a report card and saying, hey, I was supposed to be doing this. Like, let, let me look at how far along am I in my journey? And, and both as an industry and then specifically as a business. And so from healthcare, you know, I'll tell you, you know, healthcare and Vince, you can probably say this too. We're the, we're the kicking and screaming industry, man. I don't want to do it. I don't want to change. We're always last and everything. Like we're always being dragged through. And it's really interesting today because, you know, from a, from an entrepreneurial and, and innovation perspective, obviously innovation is happening from a digital perspective, right? Technology perspective, but traction in healthcare is so slow. And so it's been really interesting to see how people are now trying to communicate or trying to reach their audiences with pure digital channels where, you know, healthcare has always relied on sort of, well, you know, I could do a, let's just say if you're trying to reach out to a customer, a webinar or, you know, um, you know, a session or email them stuff. But you know what? I still have to fly to the hospital or to the insurance company or to the doctor and they have to look at me face to face and I still need to, ha you know, shake hands. Well, what do you do now? Right? You can't do any of that stuff. You have to completely rely on technology. And so it's been, a, it's, it's sort of an interesting, you know, uh, sort of transition, I guess we're going through. And some of us are getting, you know, being pulled in it from a kicking and screaming perspective. And we've always looked at financial services, right? Uh, healthcare's always looked at that because we've always talked about, well, what's the most important thing in the world? Well, it's eating, it's money, and it's health. Well, if you look at the financial services industry, I don't remember the last time I went to a bank. Like, I don't remember the last time I went to a mortgage broker's you know, office. I mean, it's been all digital. It's been all sort of you know, online, right? And so you know, I felt like, that was a, even the communication that I was getting from my bank and from my, you know, investment bank or whatever it was, it was just seamless. It was like nothing really felt different. It felt like, okay, you know, they've already sort of embraced this transition and it's just sort of like business as usual. So anything to add to that before we sort of start diving into uh, a little bit of a, uh, a transition topic? Well, Can you no. go ahead. I was just going to say to your point, you know, they say uh, 
necessity is the motherhood of invention. And with the, with the coronavirus, you know, as, as bad as it is, uh, it's helped the regulators make decisions much, more, much faster. And between regulation and the fact that the government's now willing to pay for telehealth services, two big hurdles that, that the industry had to overcome. I see that genie out of the bottle now, and I, I think we're going to see an explosion of telehealth and new innovation in the delivery of healthcare in ways that I, I would say six months ago were seen as maybe five-year objectives. Now, now they're seen as six months to a year objectives. And you know now, now uh, major pharmaceutical firms are willing to invest in not only doing trials, which are being approved more rapidly, but they are also actually producing the product with the risk that the product might not be viable in the marketplace, but they understand the scale at which this product will be needed if it is successful. They're now changing their whole risk equation. I and couldn't agree. To make that product. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's interesting. Crisis is such a catalyst to drive change. And we saw it in 08, and we've seen it in other situations. But, I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing catalyst for change. And I'm seeing it in financial services much the way you've described it across uh, the healthcare industry. A lot of the ways of working have changed. People have embraced technology that have always done things in different ways. And as a result of that, I think the human connection and frankly, the ability to communicate with more people in many respects in a more effective way is, is, really, is really coming to the forefront. I also think it's pretty profound because this, this type of situation, I know, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit, has really changed the ways people work, make decisions. In many respects, when we're all sitting here looking face-to-face and having a conversation, in a sense, it democratizes this in a way that, you know, in the past, you couldn't have worked through things quite as quickly, uh, especially in very traditional industries. So I'm very impressed by some of the change that I'm seeing, but also I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way Mm -hmm. it is or the way it was. I think yeah. more and more we'll adopt the best from this situation and we'll, to your point, catapult into new ways of working and new ways of collaborating with clients and employees that um, will be very beneficial in the future. Yeah, I think you're right, Connie. I don't recall, I mean, I wasn't around at the time, but it doesn't seem to me that too many people went back to the uh, steam engine after they after, when the gasoline cars were started to be produced. Absolutely. People going back to the old steam vehicles. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Cynthia, did you want to add something? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I look at the, Yeah, I just like look at the culture of you know a trust that has been forced upon so many of these businesses to trust their their teams to actually show up and participate from their homes and and deal with clients and then get dressed and. Um, you know, I think that was a really big hurdle for a lot of companies who would have otherwise been remote uh, initially and would have done done this a long time ago. And so, uh, the companies that had a culture of trust built in already, I think, are really shining through right now in any industry. And uh, the ones that you know do go back and not because of necessity um, or don't change operationally to some degree because of this. Uh, I would definitely question uh, 
what's going on internally <laughs> a little bit uh, with the decision-making process. Yeah. yeah, I think you really added on and ended on an important point there, the acceleration of the decision-making process. And frankly, not overanalyzing, being able to take some risks, to experiment, to test and learn faster. I always call it um, fail forward, fa fail fast, fail yeah. forward, but learn from your mistakes. And I think that, I think there's more of an appetite for that. Clearly we're seeing it across, I mean, the healthcare industry is, is really yeah. the poster child for some of that these days, which is yeah. good. Well, and I think it's interesting because, you know, I, um, I have an example. I have a client that, you know, like we've been trying to sort of have them focusing on their product development and, you know, roadmap and things like that. And suddenly they decided to sort of go develop a feature of functionality. And I'll tell you guys, they did it at 10 times faster because they were like, oh my God, I got to. And I'm sitting there going, man, you, I've been trying to drag you through this for a year and suddenly in two months you did this. Right, like, okay, like you just said, right? Crisis brings on opportunity. I'm sitting there going, you know, so you always had it in you to do this, but what, what, what are, you know, because, but, but you didn't have a crisis sitting on your head. So imagine if everybody sort of operated that way, right? In terms of getting things done. And so I think, yeah, it is completely, to your point, it's not the, the new norm, it's the next norm, right? So I it think is. to your point. So, Let's continue to sort of talk a little bit about, you know, uh, sort of the next, um, you know, close cousin to marketing is sales, right? So now, obviously, we're seeing this across the industry, right? Everybody is having to change the way that they're communicating with their customers, changing the way that they're working together, right? Collaborating. Let's talk a little bit about sales or how sales efforts are going to change across these industries. So. Again, why don't we start with you, Cynthia, in terms of what you're seeing with your customers, in terms of when you're helping them with their digital transformation mm -hmm. from a marketing perspective, what are you seeing them, you know, change the way that they're selling? Yeah, well, I, I think first, first of all, people like Vince become very important, right? Because um, there's just a level of, of security and risk and sometimes just uh, a knowledge gap, right, of understanding how to use some of the, the tools that are going to help you even facilitate that sales environment. Uh, the, I think the really great sales teams and the really great salespeople also see it as an opportunity because now they're not really, uh, you know, they're not stuck in a, in a time zone where they have to get from one place to another. They don't, you know, they can get people on the phone much faster. People are actually answering phones and um, it, it's, you know, for a great sales team or a great salesperson, I think this is more of an opportunity because it is chaotic and um, and people are looking for someone to lean on. And if what you if you believe in what you're selling and it is something in you know uh, healthcare or financial services, there's really no better time to communicate with that person. It, I mean, we immediately are relating. Everyone's in the same boat, which is you know key to sales. Like how how do we connect on on the same level? Um, and then as far as, uh, you know, I think primarily the biggest hurdle is the technology is does the customer understand how to use this tool? Do I understand how to use it? Um, and the best thing about, or the best part of a salesperson's personality though, is that they're going to do whatever it takes to make that sale happen. So they'll, they'll learn, they learn quickly because of that urgency. Um, and so 
uh, sales and marketing, yes, close cousins, greatest enemies. I don't, I'm not sure which one to call it, but they work together regardless. And um, no, but it, it's impressive to see how quickly sales te uh, teams are able to adapt from what I'm seeing anyway, um, especially maybe too, too much um, in, in healthcare. I've seen, you know, their sales teams maybe moving faster than the facilities that they're selling uh, services into, which is that, you know, creates more of a, a time situation. So you're trying to get someone into, um, into a certain specific type of treatment and the facility isn't necessarily prepared for that. So um, slowing them down has actually been a key, key part of our, our process. Okay, great. Connie, anything to add to, add to that from your perspective across these different industries? What do you think is going to change? I mean, you know, I think the thing that, uh, that sort of alarms me, um, and again, we can sort of talk about this in the next topic when we play our little game across industries, but I wanted to sort of have, give you a chance to sort of talk a little bit about that, that, you know, obviously marketing has sort of always been sort of the tool that the sales folks use, right? They're sort of, hey, I'm only as good as my marketing or my marketing is only as good as my sales. What are your sort of comments around that? You know, I started in sales. So to me, sales, marketing, service, they all work, they've got to work seamlessly together. And again, particularly, I've spent most of my career in one form or another of service businesses. And right now, think about some of the industries that are the most heavily hit. So your yeah. approach to sales and the way you think about connecting with customers, uh, which is a form of selling, if, especially in a consumer business, has never been more important. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, for those people who are more in a B2B environment, you're not walking into that office anymore. You're not having those meetings. It's harder to nurture and build new relationships, gain new business. And it's super important to embrace what you already have. So I think the balance of embrace what you have, but also looking at understanding what is the situation the person you're selling to is in. Because the way you walked in the door to pitch to someone in the past that might have been highly effective, they may not work anymore. It may be less relevant. Mm -hmm. That may not be on that person's mind, but yet you still have to break through. So I always go back to know the customer, understand what it's going to take to be relevant in the environment, which means adapting your methods because you might not be able to walk in the door, adapting your message, and adapting the way you connect with the individual. If you can find that way to be relevant, whether it's a prospect or whether it's an existing client to evolve them, that's a different mindset. And frankly, I think it requires a better, deeper collaboration with marketing partners, with follow-ups that are digital, with different ways of, of really surrounding that individual to bring them along. I think the other thing is, you know, the old adage where you look at how you help people go through the pipeline when you look at lead development. Mm -hmm. Again, it's how do you amplify your message but engage? How do you bring them in? It's, it might take longer. It's baby steps, but it's amplified. It's engaged with relevant information so that you can ultimately have the dialogue. And I can tell you right now, 
I mean, being in the financial services business, particularly in the retirement business, which is where I've spent a good bit of my last several years, retirement isn't something that a lot of people want to talk about anyway. And if you want to talk about COVID turning something upside down, a lot of people's plans or we're going to do plans turn upside down. So how do you, as a salesperson, as someone who is going to have that connection with either an institution or with an individual. You've got to approach it very, very differently. And relevance is the only way I know how to open the door. You've got to meet them where they are. You know, I have to say too, and marketing teams have to support sales teams by giving them their, uh, they need to have a place on the website. Their picture, their face needs to exist online. Like they need to be tied to the business for sure because people don't have that way of, of, you know, assessing trust or, or like, is this person really who they say they are? Um, and, and so I think that is when you say leaning on marketing, um, marketing does have to start looking at the sales team as part of, you know, their marketing strategy. Like where do they exist online? You know, what's, what is out there about them? And it's almost like it's a personnel, you know, branding strategy. You know, they need to look great as great as your company does. Um, and, and, yeah, absolutely. They need to be supported. And uh, salespeople also need to reach out to marketing and push, push them in different directions because the person having those conversations with the customer always knows a bit more, no matter what, how you're looking yep. at it. It's an ecosystem. Um, and service fits in that equation just as importantly. Yep. As a matter of fact, I would argue plays, depending on the industry, a much more elevated role because it's often the place people go for help. Yeah, yeah Samir, sure. you might Samir, you might see this in 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 your space, but in one of the uh, uh, pre-corona uh, millennium sessions that I w- that I attended, we had a roundtable talking about the impact of transformation, and so we we developed what I call these business truisms, and when I go through this, you might want to think about what is the impact on the people in the organization who have to support and make this successful. And, and so the following truisms, you know, we were talking about were, number one, in today's world, innovation spawns technology. Uh-huh. Technology fosters complexity. Complexity requires, tran- uh, tr- you know, visibility and, tr- and, and in, you know, the ability to see and understand, you know, content and visibility into your product and your service offerings. And that requires communication and awareness. So if you think about that thread of new products and new services, your whole team that supports that, from the salespeople to the support desk to the engineers, they all have to think about that model and what, what are your customers, whoever they are, in the consumer side or the business side, how do you support those customers? Because you want people to continue to buy what you're developing, and so when people need support, if the support's not there for the customer, they're not going to go back and buy the product again. Yeah, no, for sure. Vince, I wanted to sort of um, move move towards sort of your expertise. And we've talked a lot about, you know, digital transformation, marketing, sales. And obviously there's a, um, you know, a shift in focus in terms of how we're going to do business. This obviously puts a lot of pressure on the technology infrastructure of an organization of the entire system. I mean, think about how much we're using Zoom and right. all these sort of services. Right. 
Well, let's talk about your favorite topic, cybersecurity, right? So what is, talk about a little bit about that in terms of, you know, what's the pressure being put on infrastructure now, right? We've already seen breaches in cybersecurity and identity theft in the past. If we have quadruple, 10x more people, you know, volume and data transferring, how exposed are we? And what, what you know, how ready is the industry to deal with this today? Well, I think it's going to be a major challenge. And, and to me, the major challenge is we're going through a huge transformation in which the vast majority of the products and the services that we consumed as consumers, whether we're a business consumer or, or retail consumer, individual consumer, all involved typically products and services that had some tangibility to it. Now we're talking about bits of information in the ether somewhere. You don't know where it is, you don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it's going, and you can't see it. So to me, one of my poster childs from a, from a model standpoint of what can go wrong and not understanding that, because you know when we think about security, security is really com a combination of, uh, it, it's a combination of confidential information, integrity of data and information and systems, and also the availability of it. So one of my poster childs is what happened to Boeing. They developed software, which significant sophistication with machine learning, artificial intelligence, everything that flew the plane before was now put into hardware, I mean software. The software at the end of the day controlled where the pilots thought the plane was gonna go. And, 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 the, and the horrific end state was the pilots never understood because they were never fully trained that when the software took over, the pilots didn't know how to take over from the software. And that's why we had these two terrible crashes. And we could have had more. And it goes all the way through the whole system and process we built to design, implement, execute, and review and evaluate software, how much training had to be given to the people who use the software, i.e. the pilots. And so to me, that that really is, is, you know, the poster child for how if you don't have the right practices and protocols in place and take things like information security, confidentiality, privacy, data use, data rights, if you don't take that seriously, you won't be in business very long. Or, you know, your business is going to be put in some really dire straits. But that has to be understood by the whole company or the organization, not just the security and not just the IT people, which, you know, pre-coronavirus, most of this, these people were all at the back of the bus, you know, they, <laughs> they, they didn't even have a fare to get home. They could get on the bus. They could never get off the bus. Yeah. Well, no, I don't know about that. It's sitting on a couple of boards. <laughs> Cybersecurity, data security, privacy has all been top of mind. So I would say a lot of those folks have been stars and front and center in ways that they may not have wanted to be and yeah. sort of really push the envelope on how secure are we. I think things like the environment we're in, however, really test test us at the fringes. And I have to say, yeah, one of the yeah. You, touched on a, you touched on a very important thing, right? You're taking some people who were always in the background 
they were always asked to do something, not be a leader and not be a champion. And now all of a sudden you say, hey, wait a minute, you're no longer in the back room. You really have to know, have to wear a coat and tie. He said, well, I don't even have a coat and I never bought a tie. So now you <laughs> think about the cultural change. And I never got and spoke, had to stand up and speak extemporaneously as to what's the impact, business impact of banned security, right? And so no, I I completely I, completely I, agree. I'm sure you guys see that because when you're in that digital marketing, you're looking at the rest of the organization that's having to support, you know, what marketing is trying to accomplish. Actually, no. I mean, sitting in marketing and running, you know, having run and done many transformations in major infrastructures. You, you begin to appreciate the agility and flexibility of what having that kind of structure affords you. And all it takes, and I've lived through a few of these, not recently, yeah. knock on wood, you go through one security breach yeah. where your data is compromised and you're dealing with highly, con and you guys know this from the healthcare industry, we certainly know it from the financial industry. That's and we've certainly yeah. seen examples where one breach, maybe even at a cash register, can, can take a reputation like that and shift oh, yeah. it in terms yeah. of shattering consumer confidence. So I think that there is a tremendous respect for this. And frankly, in this environment where we've had to go from, um, you know, lots of protection around, you know, my laptop, for example, what I can do and what I can't do. All of a sudden, everybody's working at home uh, right. without exactly. some of the things they have. It's been an interesting, it's been interesting to watch how capable the security environment has been in allowing and facilitating that kind of pivot. Not right. always perfect, but certainly impressive. So I think, I think that we were... Honestly, I think people were more ready than they might have thought they were, and, yeah. but didn't have to execute it at that magnitude. I yeah, and I, and, I, and I think it's, um, you know, to your point, right? It's, a lot of this stuff, to Vince's point too, has been there, but it's sort of being put in the spotlight now and saying, well, you know what, now, and then, and then added to all of that is that there's just more traffic. I read a report recently or saw an article there's more traffic on the internet. There's more people online, right? I mean, look at, I mean, my, you know, my internet, it's people, people, when they talk, call me or talk to me, they're like, oh, you're in Silicon Valley. Your, your internet cannot go down. Like, come on, you're, you know, you're the house that Google and Facebook and Apple built. You get, you know, you guys probably have the best bandwidth. And I'm like, my internet was down for a day today and it completely crumbled me. And they're like, your internet was down. And I was like, yeah, I'm like for an entire day. It has not happened to me in like, four years in this house. I've never had internet loss, but it happened during COVID. And that one week that I did one day that I did not have internet for like six hours, it completely crumbled. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I can't imagine like how much pressure we're putting on the systems right across the board from a security yeah. perspective as well. And remember a lot of that system is the communications infrastructure and the cable mm -hmm. infrastructure in this country, because right now, it's either coming in in a wire or it's coming in through the air. But when you look at the connectivity, that's what's enabling many of us to work at home. And I, I feel your pain because we had a, um, a contractor dig up the cable and 
fracture it a week ago. So Comcast went down. And when Comcast went down, they were great. They brought it back up. But you're eight hours without it. And you're now, now you're on, now you're doing everything wireless. And it was a whole different ballgame when you're talking about the kind of work you're doing and different security properties. Right. Yeah. I don't want to change the subject, but you touched on something, um, Samir, that was there's more traffic. And you know what that means is um, qualifying leads is more difficult. So because people are on the internet, you're getting more calls, you're getting more inquiries, you're getting them at all different hours. That And so figuring out what's a good lead and what's a bad lead has actually become uh, kind of a, a problem that has to be navigated through, which we've spent you know so much time previously figuring out based on the the old world, we'll call it, I guess. Um, and now we're faced with this new world with everyone's connected and, you know, their hours are different, you know, their kids, they're teaching during the day, then they're, they're online at night. And so being able to look at, you know, traffic sources and, uh, and like which you can really trust and which you can has actually shifted quite a bit. And that, it takes more time from your sales teams and your marketing teams to funnel through all of that. Um, which puts more pressure on them. So I think that in itself is... Uh, well, layer privacy and advanced algorithms on top of that, it's harder even to break through <laughs> even with normal volume. Yeah. Sure. Cynthia, are you well, saying... I don't... Cynthia, I was just going to follow up with Cynthia. Are you saying there's, there's, yeah. they're, they're fake leads? Would you call them fake leads? Or they're basically, you know not viable leads but you don't wreck you it's difficult to discern so, so i'll give you an example um in we we've done a lot of work in the behavioral health care space and so uh, typically leads that come in in the late hours of the evening to the early hours of the morning are not good leads they're bad we call them bad leads because there's a certain type of call that is coming through um the person thinks they want a treatment they don't want treatment uh, and so, and then the morning hours, you know, between 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., we call them like the soap opera hours tend to be better because those are your moms, those are your wives and your, you know, who are making those calls. Right. Well, now because the kids are home and because everyone's together, it's, those hours are shifting, right? So you make calls like that, that are very personal. You do those discovery, the kind of discovery when you have the time and you're alone so and so that's changing. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Or you do what I do, you stick them in a pile in that basket over there as a to be done, and I haven't quite found the window yeah. yet. Yeah. Right, right. Well, this is great, and I know we have about uh, 14 minutes left, so let's sort of go through, not necessarily a rapid fire, but what I want to do is sort of go across different industries, and you can sort of talk about um, I like what Connie says, not the, um, you know, not the, not the new norm, but the next norm. So let's do a little bit of that game. Um, you know, we'll sort of kick it off and, um, I'll sort of pick on a couple of industries that not, not necessarily are represented by all, you know, by all of us, but, or any of us, but that I feel like, you know, they've got some challenging days in front of them and they have some days that are going to really just force them to redo a lot of what they're going to, you know, how they're going to, they're going to be challenged, right? So services industry, right? We don't have to sit there and talk much about this, right? The folks in tourism, you know, hospitality, travel, I mean, I can't imagine being in those industries right now. I mean, what does your future look like when people are not going to be traveling? They're not going to get on planes. Um, I mean, even the real estate industry, right? So 
this has been a, and I'll, I'll touch on the real estate one for a second, and then I'm going to sort of let you guys jump in. Um, real estate to me has been so interesting because, um, you know, I've sort of been a, uh, sort of on the side, a real estate investor for quite a bit of time for about 15, 20 years. And I've sat there and been through so many closings and, and, and short sales and buy, and I'm sitting there going, why is all this stuff on so much paper? <laughs> Come on. Why do I have to physically meet somebody? Why do you need to send me a book? Of why cannot I digitally sign, you know, 200 reams of paper? Now, again, there's reasons for it. I sound like that consumer who's complaining about something that he doesn't know really about, right, in the background. But let's just be honest, right? At the end of the day, like, some of these things are, I think, are ripe for transformation, right? Another thing is, you know, down the street from my house, um, you know, one of our neighbors finally finished building his remodeled home that they're about to sell. Well, he's going to do an open house. And I'm sitting there going, in COVID times, how are you going to do an open house? And you'd be amazed. They have an entire new process on how to do open houses. But a lot of that is also shifting online. Because imagine, how many times were you given listings back in the day where they said, hey, here's a panoramic 360 view of the house inside. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm going to go look at it. <laughs> and so but now you're probably going to rely on that. So I think I want to hear from you guys about you know, some of these industries that you might be in, that you might not be in, what do you think of the future? What's their next norm, as Connie calls it? So any, anyone who wants to start. Sure. Don't make me pick on you. I'll talk. <laughs> I, I think this actually goes back to our, uh, one of our original, you know, touch points with salespeople, right, is that um, they're driven to make a sale, and they're actually the ones informing a lot of these decisions across the board. They're like, okay, people aren't going to go in there now. We need them to go in there. So let's get masks. Let's, you know, make sure that everyone's washing their hands. Okay, let's take people's temperature as they come to the door. Let's, uh, you know, make sure that we have these supplies. And, um, and I think the, those real estate agents or the, you know, the people, the front lines that need them to get through the door are the ones that are helping inform a lot of these decisions, um, which is great. And then, and the new norm is, you know, is going to be awkward for a little bit um, because we'll be six feet apart taking each other's temperatures. Nobody there is a doctor and it'll be, it'll be laughable and probably make, you know, a really a much more interesting environment for, for uh, that kind of interaction or sales or, um, and as far as travel industry goes, uh, it's, you know, uh, that is an interesting one. I think the, the companies that are going to do well are going to have to be extremely creative and the ones that won't do well probably weren't doing that well to begin with, right? I mean, they probably weren't doing all that they said they were doing to start. Um, and these review sites and so on are probably going to have start having COVID-friendly like check marks and COVID-friendly this and they're going to be tested. And, and so again, here we are back to relying on Yelp. And, um, and in, this is all Silicon Valley stuff, right? It's all tech companies and these websites, like they're, they're the salespeople, they're lead gen. They're going to do what salespeople and lead gen sites do. They're going to make themselves uh, useful and, and helpful in these cases, which will then make us more dependent on them because um, people will be dependent on them. And so that's, that's where I've seen it going from a, a industries that have physical locations. Um, yeah. 
in the behavioral health care space, I do know that uh, people are quarantined for seven days alone um, with no one but nurses and doctors. So uh, I don't know what that means even for you know retirement communities uh, because they do operate in a similar in a similar way. But uh, there probably will be this like period of being by yourself before you're you know allowed into the community. Um, but yeah, in general, I think if we follow the sales the sales people and the sales funnels, we'll start to see where it's heading. So I'm going to come at it from um, two perspectives. I'm going to come at it from the customer perspective and how well we know our customer. And I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, because no one's feeling, or no matter who they are, they're not feeling the way they were before. They're dealing with all kinds of different circumstances, work circumstances, personal circumstances, job loss, job security, all kinds of aspects. I mean, you know, if you think about a person holistically and what their purpose was and the way they interacted before, for the first time, we've had crises. If you think about a 9-11, if you think about a 8, if you think about many of the things that have riveted this country, earthquakes, etc., no time has health and wealth ever completely collided in a way that immediately changed the way we work, the way we live, the way we teach, the way we think, and frankly, created a level of isolation for many at-risk populations that has never, ever been there before. So when I think back, except for literally physical devastation, you lose your home or something like that, I can't remember anything in my lifetime that has ever remotely been like this. So when you pull back, I don't know that there is an industry that hasn't been affected. So I think it starts with two critical factors. First, it's employees. This stuff starts at home. How did companies think about empower handle their employees? I have to say, working with Equitable, I've been amazingly impressed how quickly the company went from the normal way of working to complete remote work, seamless collaboration, deployment of tools, and how people adapted to new ways of working and how the company adapted to incredible ways of motivating and thinking about how those employees felt. Because that was so seamless and because it's been, and you know, so motivating, it's been interesting to watch changes occur in the way we've been able to respond and adapt to the way we're thinking about treating our customers, supporting sales, supporting service, creating task forces across the company that bring groups together that used to maybe work sometimes in silos and now are all focused on a very, very specific outcome, which is how do we reinforce that customer? How do we serve the customer? How do we continue to put our best foot forward and sell in the future? And so I think that so much of the change has come from the heart of companies who have been able to embrace this change and empower this, but also who understand the needs of their employees and have been very sensitive to adapting and enabling. And as a result of that, I think there and many across many industries, they're going to be the ones that will be more resilient, more creative, and frankly, more understanding 
and therefore relevant to what customer needs are. That's an esoteric approach, but I'm watching it in practice and it's impressive. Yeah. So, um, Vince, anything to add to that? I have a comment that I was going to make, but uh, you want to add anything to that or talk well, about any think, of the industries? Well, I, I think two things to come to mind that I would say are lessons learned from, from the pandemic. Uh, and, and one of them is uh, organizations, you know, large organizations who have, uh, you know, what's referred to as an enterprise risk management program. They're basically going to have to true up those programs now. And for something like the, 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 uh, the virus and the pandemic, you know, that's been, and you've seen it in the press, repeatedly talked about as a black swan event. And, you know, a black swan event is something that happens very infrequently, but when it does happen, it has terrific impacts or horrific impacts. And so I think large organizations are going to have to learn from this and, and say that, you know, there's no guarantee now that we won't have another pandemic yeah. for five years or 10 years. I mean, yeah. the next one might be two years from now, uh, based upon the frequency pattern now that we can look back and see that there's a pattern to this. And so I think one, they're going to have to start building that in to how they build resilience, you know, and preparedness into their programs. And so I think that's going to be a big takeaway and lesson learned. And then the other, to me, the other important lesson was basically, do you really know your supply chain? And, and I guarantee you 98% of most people in the U.S. did not know that most of our drugs, most, most of our face masks, most of our, our you know, medical protective devices are all made in China. And, and, yep. and, and, Combine that with the fact that the healthcare industry has been promulgated as a critical piece of infrastructure in the US. And for the last five years, they were asked to do an annual risk assessment and identify the risk associated with things like cybersecurity and availability yeah. of services. So that, even though that, that supply chain risk existed, it really wasn't really recognized, although it was there, you know, over the last five years in our critical infrastructure industry. So I, th I think that's a wake up call. Organizations really need to understand what is in their supply chain and what is in that supply chain that's going to put them critically at risk if they lose that ability to get access to that product or that supply chain. Couldn't agree with yeah. you more. Yeah. No, and, and, and as a, you know, I know we got a, <clears throat> about a minute left. I mean, I'm just, it's going to be fascinating to see again how, Connie, you mentioned this, uh, how the world changes because, you know, Great Recession changed things, but they changed things based on industries and, you know, structure that we already lived in. This structure has broken, right? It's going to be a completely different world that we're going to live in. And what I'm sort of, you know, I'm worried about, concerned about, keeps me awake is, 36 million people just filed for unemployment, right? We've had the largest unemployment rate ever. Now, obviously we can account for a lot of those people, some of these industries that will never be the same again, right? Like we just talked about, like hospitality, restaurants, travel. I mean, so you're not only gonna have these 36 million people eventually, whenever we do recover, have to go back to work. 
but they might not be going back to the same job anymore, right? It doesn't exist. So what happens from a skill set perspective? Education becomes so important. Cross-training becomes so important because these people may have to adopt to the new norm, as we call it, right? Hey, I need to take a job where I can, quote unquote, be pandemic safe. Right? And luckily, all, all of us sitting here on our Zoom, we're sort of in, you know, pandemic safe-ish environment, right? We're not, <laughs> you know, for the most part. So, but that's, that's the thing that's fascinating to me is that things are so different and we're not going to go back to the same. What's going to happen to all these people? Where are they going to go work? How are they going to support? Because they're important. They need to go back to work to support the economy because it's a trickle down, right? At the end of the day, their unemployment impacts us somewhere down the road. You know, you so, add, you mentioned one thing that I think is really important, that's retraining. And what this is going to do to the educational system, particularly in higher ed, if anything, online was happening, MOOCs, yeah. what they, but I think this is going to fundamentally change and accelerate opportunities, especially yeah. for institutions that are going to look at different ways of retraining and coming through this. It's hard for kids going to college, for sure. It's part of that experience. But right. I think it also could have a really good side benefit for training and outreach and taking, democratizing, taking distance away. Yep. No, absolutely. Same with medicine. Yeah, we've seen it. We, we've seen these many trends happen in the past, but hopefully, like we talked about, some of these things get accelerated, right? Yeah, it's the new norm, but let's just go ahead and accelerate the path from this, right? Um, rather than having to, you know, rather than having to sort of wait for it to, to show up. So thank, thank you. you. Bye, Ron. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for updates on our next advisory board virtual panel. Have a topic idea around leadership and COVID-19? Let us know. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you next time.